Hi there, I'm James Zappachi and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, you'll be surprised to hear we're dealing with some parties in dispute today. We've got our inventor, speaking loosely, and our financier, speaking loosely. In about 2001, our financier and our inventor meet each other. And at about that time, our financier loans about $335,000 to our inventor for the purpose of commercializing the invention and progressing it. Now, years pass and further loans are made from financier to inventor uh, to pursue this commercialization. And those loans total over $3 million. Now, running slightly parallel to this is another relationship between our inventor and our financier. And that relationship relates to, speaking loosely, property development or property exploitation. Um, uh, we're growing crops to an extent and we're also developing land for sale. So we've got these sort of parallel relationships, loans to commercialize IP and property management development, this sort of stuff. Okay. Um, in the early 2000s, a lender, and a lender other than the financier, I should say, commences proceedings against our inventor in relation to the inventor failing to make mortgage payments on one of these properties. And because the inventor is unable to make these payments, uh, he consents to judgment being entered. Uh, that judgment is entered in legal proceedings. So the lender wins. But what the inventor then does is cross-claim over against the financier. And it is this cross-claim that we're now going to progress with, right? What the inventor says is the inventor says there were a number of agreements we entered into, a number of oral agreements. So we don't have any of them written down. There were three of them. The first of them was you, financier, agreeing that you would take responsibility for paying this mortgage. And so I've just had this judgment entered against me and you agreed to pay it. So you should go and pay it. So that's agreement one that the inventor alleges happened. Agreement two uh, is uh, essentially the inventor saying, we had entered into certain oral agreements regarding the commercialization of the IP. We were gonna use certain companies, certain entities to run things. And financier, you've run off to Europe, done all sorts of things in breach of that oral agreement. So you owe me $39 million. That's the second agreement. The third agreement we might refer to as a property maintenance agreement, speaking loosely. And in essence, that is, hey, I've been maintaining the properties and I ought to be paid some agreed amount in respect of that. So we've got those three oral contracts, no written evidence for them, alleged by our inventor. Now our financier on uh, receiving this cross-claim makes cross-claims of their own. And what those cross-claims are, are firstly, uh, please repay the money I loaned you <laughs> over the years. And secondly, a claim for resulting trusts, which are in essence um, a trusts that the financier says as a result of these trusts, as the result of our legal relationship, um, the properties that are not all registered in my name are in fact held on trust for me and I am the beneficial owner of them. Now, this these three contract claims and these two cross claims come to a first instance hearing. And what the judge says at first instance is 
In short, uh, no, in respect of each of the three contract claims. No to the uh, mortgage agreement, if we're going to put it that way. No to the agreement where the inventor says, hey, financier, you agreed to pay what the lender wants. Court found there was no such agreement. Secondly, no to what we might call the IP commercialization agreement. No, there was no agreement that was breached by the financier running off to Europe and doing their thing. Uh, thirdly, no to the property maintenance or management agreement. There was no such agreement that the inventor would be paid. If we turn to our financiers' cross claims, firstly, the court says, yes, um, those loaned amounts, that's fine. Um, they are to be paid and the inventor is obliged to pay the financier in respect of those. Secondly, the resulting trusts. Um, the court took a look at some of the contemporaneous materials and some of the relevant evidence from the time and the court said, no, there's no resulting trusts. The names on the record, uh, <laughs> essentially the ownership of those property is as it says uh, on the register of land ownership. So that was the first instance hearing, the first time it came to court. Now what happened is the inventor appealed and indeed the financier also cross appealed. What the inventor said, in short, was the first instance judge, the first time this thing came before the court, what that judge sort of said is, hey, there was a partnership, and hey, the financier owed me fiduciary duties such that um, all these various payments should be made to me. Now, in order to respond to this, we need to dive a little bit more deeply into how the first instance decision happened and how the hearing was actually run, because... I'll remind you, even though I told you a few seconds ago, what our inventor's complaining about is saying, hey, there were fiduciary duties, that's what the primary judge should have found, and the law of partnership should have come in to assist me, and by failing to acknowledge either of those things, the first instance judge made a mistake, and so I'm appealing that error. So, the Court of Appeal then has to look at how the case was run at first instance. And now, interestingly, and problematically for our inventor, the issue of fiduciary duties and the law of partnership was raised squarely by the first instance judge. And what the first instance judge said to the barrister was, um, hey, look, do you want some time to go away and take another look at this statement of claim, at uh, all the causes of action you're trying to bring? Uh, and what the barrister did was go away and knock up a bit of a draft that brought in some of these equitable claims. But at the end of the first instance hearing, there was no application made to amend the claims, which means that the claims brought at first instance by the inventor were for breaches of those three contracts that we spoke about. They were not for partnership. They were not for breaches of fiduciary duty. And now our inventor says, hey, I want to appeal that decision because the first instance judge did not take into account fiduciary duties or partnership. You can imagine what happened next. Uh, the Court of Appeal took a look through the relevant law, took a look through the way the first instance decision was run, paid particular attention to the opportunity that was afforded the inventor um, to press those claims, and found there was no explanation for why a partnership claim or a breach of fiduciary duty claim had not been brought before the first instance hearing was run, uh, and found that, in short, the inventor was bound on appeal um, to only appeal the claims that had been brought at first instance. So in short, you didn't bring them at first instance, you can't bring them on appeal. And the inventor was held to uh, the 
speaking loosely, loss, if I can put it in such a crude, crude way, um, that he or they suffered at first instance. Similarly, our financier uh, failed on appealing the resulting trust argument. So we've got a failed appeal on the three contracts over here. We've got a failed appeal on the resulting trusts over here. And we've got a stern lesson that uh, if you're gonna run a piece of litigation, you better, you better pick your causes of action carefully and then progress with them. Thanks for joining me this week. Look forward to chatting again soon over another coffee and in respect of another case note, cheers.